0: Today, author and Bible teacher Dr. John Whitcomb teaches about the glory of Christ's return on this edition of Encounter God's Truth. We're continuing in a short series called Our Glorious Future in Christ. Having looked last week at the coming of the Lord Jesus to rapture His church, we now consider many additional details about the events that will unfold in God's plan surrounding the return of the Lord. We'll turn to both of the Thessalonian epistles, and our lesson will culminate in the opening chapter of the book of Revelation, where John sees a vision of the risen, glorified Christ. We want to study the scriptures with a view to understanding how these truths should impact our lives today. And God's word is true from the beginning to the end. Right now, we're focusing on the concluding portion of that word. Dr. Whitcomb begins our lesson by making some important distinctions.
1: Friends, many millions of Christians around the world believe in the rapture. I mean, the Bible is so clear on that, as we have seen. To be glorified without dying, what a blessed hope that is. But there is some question mark in the minds of many as to whether the church will go through the tribulation first, or even part of it, before the rapture. It's not a question whether we deserve the tribulation, yes, I hope that is not going to be the reason we have to be in it. But because we are the bride and body of Christ, that's the issue. Now listen carefully to what Paul said to the Thessalonian church about this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. You turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus. Now listen, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, at first glance, that might mean hell, but that, you see, is irrelevant. I mean, obviously, that is true, but he has a particular kind of wrath in mind, namely the wrath of God that will be poured out on the world during the 70th and last week of Daniel, the seven-year period before the second coming of Christ in glory. Now, this is restated, you know, in 1 Thessalonians 5, where God says again, after describing the rapture, he says, 2 Thessalonians 5, 9, God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, here's another reason why we can't be here on the earth during the great tribulation, that seven-year time of the wrath of God upon the world. Remember in Revelation 6, the whole world will cry out to the rocks, fall on us, mountains cover us from the wrath of the Lamb. And I say, Lord, I I can't imagine the bride, the body of Christ, being subjected to the wrath of God. And so Paul does remind the Thessalonians, doesn't he? Those dear saints up there who were worrying about their dead loved ones, and now they've been taught, you remember, 1 Thessalonians 4 about the rapture. Now listen to what he said in his follow-up letter, 2 Thessalonians 2.1. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that's the rapture, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come, that you're in the, in the great tribulation period, the 70th of Daniel. No, no one, look at verse three, let no one in any way deceive you for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. What's that? Now listen carefully. The man of lawlessness will be revealed the son of destruction this is the antichrist now of Daniel nine twenty seven, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple of God can you imagine that in Jerusalem Revelation says after he kills the two witnesses he'll take over the temple displaying himself as being God do you not remember that while I was still with you I was telling you these things isn't that amazing brand new born again Christians were being taught deep things of eschatology, of the future, God's destiny for the church. Now, here's the specific point to keep in mind. 2 Thessalonians 2, 6. And you know what restrains him now, that is the Antichrist, so that in his time he may be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains... Must be the Holy Spirit in the church, the only one in the world that can restrain Satan and the the Antichrist, his masterpiece. He who restrains will do so until what? Until he is taken out of the way. And then, not before then, when the Holy Spirit in the church is gone, that's at the rapture, then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. There it is, friends. The church in which the Holy Spirit resides as a special function of his outreach to the human race is gone. Now, let's be careful here. That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit won't be here anymore, because during that 73th of Daniel, Even though there won't be any more Christians added to the body of Christ as such, millions will be, what, convicted by the Holy Spirit, who alone can change hearts, and people will be born again, Jews and Gentiles alike. So the Holy Spirit will be here in a different function like he was before the church was created, he was here convicting people. Accomplishing new birth miracles of transformation spiritually in people, like Jesus said to Nicodemus. And I say, well, that is amazing. When the church, which is indwelled in a special way by the Holy Spirit, is removed, then and not till then can the Antichrist appear and begin his functions. Now, you see, friends, uh, every Jewish person in the New Testament who knew the book of Daniel should have known That that 70th week of Daniel is for Israel only, not for the church. See, for Israel only. Daniel chapter 9 makes that clear over and over again. This is for Jerusalem and for Israel. And if the first 69 weeks were for Israel only, and they were, remember they ended just before Jesus died, okay? Then the 70th week, likewise, will be exclusively for Israel, not for the church. Now, what about particular Christian churches? Listen to what he says about the Church of Philadelphia. Uh, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, Revelation 3:10. I also now listen, will keep you from the hour of testing. That's a time period, friends. Not just from testing. We've all been tested, will be. But from that time, what time? Namely, the hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth, the whole human race will be tested in the time of tribulation, the whole world. What a blessed hope that is, friends, because what God promised to that church, be careful here, would be true of all the seven churches. They're true churches in spite of all their theological, moral, and spiritual problems and weaknesses and failures. They will be exempted from the 70th week of Daniel, which is that time period, that hour of testing for the whole human. There have been times of testing all through church history, but this is the whole world now the whole world. That's the uniqueness of the 70th week of Daniel. Now, another another argument from silence, which is a significant one, by the way, is that the church is never mentioned as being on earth anywhere from Revelation 6 to to 18. Really? Well, listen to this. Over and over again, God said to those uh, churches, the seven churches, he said, uh, that uh, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the churches, to the churches. But after that third chapter, you don't find that statement anymore. For seven whole years, no mention of the church being on earth. Now, to me, it's very significant. In Revelation 13, right in the midst of that 73 of Daniel, we read this statement. Revelation 13:9. listen carefully. If anyone has an ear, let him hear, period. Not churches, see, but anyone who has an ear. And I say, well, well, thank you, Lord, because the church is in heaven, you see, being examined, purged, purified, rewarded, prepared for the wedding. That's seven-year time, seven-year time of preparation, the judgment scene of Christ, which we'll be discussing later. And I say, Lord, that, that is such a blessing. The church will not be here to experience these horrible things during the Great Tribulation. So, so what does this mean? It means that the rapture can occur at any moment. It's imminent. And here's the point, friends. Are we ready? Are we ready for the Bema, the Judgment Throne of Christ, which is the first thing the Church will experience after being resurrected and raptured? Let's position ourselves today with the Apostle John, who was Exiled to a little island in the Aegean Sea. And and the things that God showed him there on that island of Patmos. Listen carefully. Rome, revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of or from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John. Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. How encouraging this third verse is. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, now friends, stop right there for a moment. Blessed is he who does what? Who reads these words in the book of Revelation. Who does what? Who hears the words of this prophecy. Who does what? Who heeds it. Who obeys it. Who acts in the light of it. For the time is near. The imminent coming of the Lord, friends, is God's dynamic for sanctification, setting our heart and mind apart for Christ. And I say, Lord, there's something special about this book of Revelation. What it is, you know, friend, of course, is it's the capstone, the pinnacle of a gigantic pyramid of of 65 previous books written by the holy spirit of god through the pens of many writers and i see from genesis all the way down through to uh, third john and jude now now lord what do you want me to know from this book of revelation it just assumes you understand this is the hard thing now that you have mastered the first 65 books it builds on it it presupposes it takes it for granted that's why i think in spite of the fact that there are many symbolic things and uh, and uh, mysterious things about these chapters in Revelation. God expects us to understand the basics, to act in the light of these truths, to heed them, for the time is near. Now, are you ready for verse 4? The salutation to John, to the churches. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia... And, of course, this represents all churches that have ever existed from that time to this, including whatever church you may attend, friend. Grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come. Who's that? Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord Jesus, friends, was here at the beginning of the universe. He's here now as the head of the body the church, and he is to come. He's coming again. But what does this mean? The seven spirits who are before his throne. As Dr. Charles Ryrie points out in his footnote in his study Bible, that number seven occurs 54 times in this book, more frequently than any other number. In the Bible, it is associated with completion, fulfillment, and perfection. In the book of Revelation, there are seven churches, seven spirits, seven lampstands, seven stars, seven seals on the scroll, seven horns, seven eyes of the Lamb, seven angels, seven trumpets, and seven thunders. Seven heads of the dragon, seven heads of the beast, seven golden bowls, seven kings, seven spirits. And I say, now that, how, what, what can that mean? The seven spirits who are, there's only one Holy Spirit. And the answer is, this refers to his perfect fullness. Perfect fullness. And I say, thank you, Lord, for the perfection of the blessed Holy Spirit here. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. That is, he's the first and only human ever yet to be glorified. And the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. He has made us to do what? To become part of a kingdom. To be what? To be priests. Someday we'll be priests as well as kings in the kingdom age. And friends, how spectacular is this promise. Revelation seven Behold... He's coming with the clouds. That's clouds of glory. That's the second coming of glory, not the rapture. And every eye will see him as he gradually descends from heaven, according to Revelation 19. They shall see him descending from heaven, followed by his church, his body, his bride. Who's going to see him? Even those who pierced him. Those are Jews especially. Oh, Zechariah 12.10, they they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. Millions of Jews who are believers by then, will re- repent of having ever had a part under Satan of crucifying their own Messiah 2,000 years ago. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. And then Jesus makes this great statement, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Of course, that means those are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. He's the beginning and the end, A to Z. He's everything. He's the alphabet of the universe, dear friends, who is... Who was, and who is to come, the Almighty? Just like he said in verse four, an introduction of who the focus person of this book of Revelation really is—Jesus Christ, the Lord. So John says, "I, your brother and fellow-partaker in the tribulation and the kingdom, and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos." Why was he there in that little island? Because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus, he was being punished, you see, isolated from the church that he loved and was ministering to at Ephesus, etc. He was being martyred, as it were, for the Savior. He was the last of the apostles to survive. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, presumably on Sunday, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, and they're listed. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and my, look what he saw. Seven golden lampstands, which of course refer to the churches, symbolically. And in the middle of the lampstands, who was there? One like the Son of Man. That's Jesus. Listen how he's described. Clothed in a robe reaching to his feet. Girded across his breast with a golden girdle. His head and his hair white like white wool, like snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. His voice like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in his strength. Well, we're not too surprised at John's reaction to that vision, are we? What would you have done if Jesus had appeared to you that way in his glory? Well, here's the answer. When I saw him, John said, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And the living one, I was dead, but praise the Lord, listen to this. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Really, thank you, Jesus. When you rose from the dead, you rose forever, never to die again. You paid the price. You said it was finished. And now you're alive in glory at the right hand of your father in heaven forever and ever. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have what? The keys of death and of Hades. I'm the one who determines who goes and who doesn't go, as we see at the end of the book of Revelation. So what are we supposed to do now? Keep our, our eyes focused on his claims, his person, his glory, his plan for his body, the church. By the way, friend, stop and think. Do you know him as your Savior? Perhaps you've even memorized this book of Revelation like some people, you know, today have, can quote verses, but do they understand them? Do they believe them? Is it in their heart or just on their lips or in their, in their mind? Do you know him from your heart? And I say, Lord, help me to allow those eyes of Jesus like the flame of fire to pierce and penetrate me and to show me where I am in your presence, in your glory. To be one who loves you, who is trusting in you, who thanks you for what you did on that cross and at that empty tomb, and the fact that you're coming again. So I say, thank you, Lord, for the things that we've seen in Genesis chapter 1 and following, and in Revelation chapter 1 too, and the things which are these seven churches about to be described during this church age. And what else? Listen. Listen. And the things which shall take place after these things. After these things. And you say, well, after what things? Well, in chapter 4, it says, After these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And I heard a voice. Come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. After the seven churches. After the church age. He's coming, friends, to do something spectacular at the rapture of the church during the 70th week of Daniel And during the second coming events Of Revelation 19 So we're ready Lord We're ready To to believe what, what John saw Revelation 1 The things that are The seven churches of Revelation 2 and 3 And what The things which shall take place After these things In other words there's an outline Of the entire book of Revelation And as for the mystery of the seven stars Which you saw in my right hand Jesus said to John And the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So we're in the church age, friend, and the bride and body of Christ, the church, is waiting for his appearance. At any moment, we could be snatched away, raptured to glory. Thank you, God, for that blessed hope that you've given to every born-again Christian in the world today.
0: Indeed, we are ready to believe what John saw and wrote about in Revelation chapter 1. And friend, we hope you're ready for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, which may occur soon. My name is Wayne Shepherd, and I thank you for joining us on this edition of Encounter God's Truth from Whitcomb Ministries, Incorporated. For much more information about Bible prophecy and many other topics, visit us online at WhitcombMinistries.org and especially SermonAudio.com Whitcomb because that's where you'll find hundreds of broadcasts and sermons by Dr. Whitcomb, searchable by keyword and Bible passage and all free for you to listen to and download. We encourage you to join us there often. Now, Dr. Whitcomb, you taught us today about the one who is coming in the book of revelation, Jesus Christ. But can you explain more about some of the differences between his coming at the rapture of the church and his final return at the second coming?
1: Wayne, this is a wonderful question because it shows how distinct Unique and special, the body and bride of Christ is, the church. Uh, John the Baptist, you know, realized he was never going to be a part of the church. He was a friend of the bridegroom. And millions of people before the church was created on the day of Pentecost were looking for his coming, and they didn't quite realize the distinction between the first and second coming. But the main thing for us to realize now is how different the rapture will be from the second coming. Uh, we have seen in First Thessalonians 4 that the rapture is a secret thing, relatively speaking. That is, it won't be a confrontation with the whole human race in judgment. All of a sudden, millions of dead Christians will arise from the dead. The Lord himself then will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, as soon as these millions of dead Christians are resurrected and glorified, what will happen? We who are alive and remain should be caught up together with them in the clouds, clouds to meet the Lord in the air, not on the earth, notice, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, that is a very special event, isn't it? Never before revealed. God allowed Paul the Apostle to enunciate, explain, announce, reveal this distinctive of the rapture. But you see, the second coming is Christ coming back to the earth in full glory seen by all confronting satan the false prophet and of course the antichrist and that was known way back in the old testament i mean just for example look at psalm number two three thousand years ago look for that event to happen and uh, the question he says why are the nations in uproar the peoples devising a vain thing psalm two the kings of the earth take their stand now watch this is armageddon now And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, against his son, Christ, Messiah. They are saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. We don't want them to control us, to confront us, to judge us. What's the response of God to that challenge? He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. It's not funny, it's just tragic. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he shall speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me... God the Father will say, I have installed my king, that's Jesus, his son, on Zion, my holy mountain. Now listen to the response of Jesus, his son. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, Thou art my son. Today I have begotten thee, referring to his resurrection. Ask of me, and what will happen? I will surely give thee the nations as thine inheritance. The very ends of the earth as thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt shatter them like earthenware. Now, of course, that is totally different than the rapture of the church, is it not? And so, here in Psalm 110, for example, God says something about the second coming, doesn't He? Not the rapture. Listen carefully. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until what? Till I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. And all through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, many of the Old Testament books, Talk about the second coming of Christ You remember Daniel 2, the great stone that will smash the image And Daniel 7, how he will come Yes, to destroy the nations, especially the Antichrist But you see, friends, when you look at the book of Revelation uh, the, The rapture has already taken place Because the bride of Christ comes down from heaven, Revelation 19 With the Lord Jesus Christ And I say, thank you, Lord, for that distinction. Help me to understand the difference between the rapture and the second coming of Christ in glory.
0: Thank you, Dr. Whitcomb, for helping us understand those critical details. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, and I want to remind you that Encounter God's Truth is available to you via radio and the Internet through the wonderful generosity of our broadcast partners. If you are blessed by this program, please contact the station or outlet in which you're hearing it to let them know and be a blessing to them. And don't let the end of the program be the end of your encouragement for the week. Stay connected to us at facebook.com slash Ministries and sermonaudio.com slash whitcomb. We'd be delighted to have you as our guest. And then join us next time as we consider more about our glorious future in Christ.